So welcome everyone to the next episode of the Caterpillar Podcast. We have a returning guest, Arun, who has obviously the most amazing nickname. Uh, do you want to introduce yourselves? Hello, guys. Uh, I'm Arun. I make videos for World of Warships on YouTube sometimes. Sometimes. And uh, I have to agree with Atem. His nickname is really, really good. Like, it's, it's basically perfection, especially the start of it. Definitely. I'm feeling left out here now. <laughs> well, Hello, you should have picked a better name. A ointy hair Jedi. <laughs> I mean, it sure. It doesn't quite flow, does it? Mm, oh well. Well, so not a lot of dead blog news to talk about this week. But there, there is, uh, there are, well, the, the Christmas or New Year event rewards have been revealed in a way. So you get a New Year certificate for your tents that you can then turn in for a gift container. And considering that this year we are going to have actual drop rates, you can even decide uh, which which container is more worth it. So it's going to be interesting. But can you be more specific? So you mean that for Christmas or New Year, the celebration is going to be what exactly? Uh, you have snowflakes again, and when you play at your 10 ship, you get one New Year's certificate. And one certificate gets you a small Santa box, and three get you a big Santa box, and five get you a mega Santa box. I see. I'm sure there'll be lots of people crunching the numbers once we do know the odds for the boxes of what the best sort of value for money is in terms of, well, value for certificates is in terms of uh, whether you save them or spend them on the lower value ones. What do, the low, hmm? what do the lower tier ships get? Uh, tier 8 to tier 9 get steel, and tier 5 to tier 7 get coal. Wow, steel. Wow. Yeah, tier, eight, tier 8 and tier 9, 75 steel each. They have, I think they did this definitely last year, and I can't remember if it was the year before. It's the certificate thing that's new here, really. Which, I mean, you know, it's just another temporary currency at the end of the day with a slightly different name. But, um, yeah, the fact yeah. that you can use it to get the, um, the containers. Is See, if, if Wargaming were smarter, they would have named it 2021 or 2022 New Year Certificate. That way they could just recycle it next year. Well, but ways, then, then they would have to rename it next. You know, they can use the exact same thing again. <laughs> yeah, but then people are going to be upset Upset that, hey, my New Year certificate this year, you know, last year it gave me uh, one Santa box for five. Now it now this year it gives me one for six. What's going on? Inflation. Just, just call it inflation. <laughs> it, it's definitely, it's a bit less... Um, sort of useful is the right word, but it's a bit less nice than the super containers we had for the birthday event. Um, because the the Santa containers, I mean, they've got their own mix of like, if I remember correctly, ships and flags and camos and things. So True, but, but we, we don't know like, the odds like, of a ship in a super container, right? 
Yeah, that's true. It, we we kind of like a, a big question mark over all of this is what what are the odds? How do we compare these two things? So we'll see. I got really lucky with my super containers this year. I got like an obscene amount of doubloons and all kinds of other stuff that you normally shouldn't get. I think I got steel out of one, and the others that, were fairly disappointing. That that was my first ever steel super container in I don't know how many years playing this game was was this year from the birthday events. Oh, never okay. got one before. They are so rare. I, I actually have the file accidentally open. I got 6,000 steel, that's four steel containers, 80 days of premium, 14,000 doubloons, and 75,000 coal. And then obviously other stuff too. How many did you open? I don't know how many tier 10 ships are there, minus one. So, so 50 something. Okay. But it's still a pretty that good was, order. That was ridiculously lucky compared to what I saw from everyone else. <laughs> Well, I mean, the luck had to go somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I stole it from all of you. I'm really glad for the premium days, though. Because yeah, now, yeah. now... Now I now it'll only take me... Wow, the math is too hard. I have 1,590 days of premium. <laughs> See, I only have 600-something. Now I feel like a pleb. <laughs> wow, that's only two years. So there are, there yeah. are some other blogs, but it's all test chip changes, pretty much. I don't know if there's anything really interesting in any of these. I mean, and the test chip changes are for these super ships on, like, PTS? Yeah, some of them are. There's one for... A couple of the, the Pan-Asian cruisers to do with their ballistics, which doesn't mean anything to anybody, because none of us know to play them, so... Uh, and yeah, mostly it is of the the, um, the super ships, and a couple of other things as well, like Repulse has gone up in its reload slightly, and stuff like that. So, and the but... torpedo switch time for the new submarines with the double torpedoes have adjusted, which is interesting because they haven't really started testing them yet, or at least not anywhere yeah. where the public could see them, so <laughs> they're already making changes wanna... to the changes that are not live. I do want to mention the uh, test trips, the super ships. The, for those who don't know, they're the new super ships. Obviously you've seen and heard of the Hanofa and the uh, the... I forgot what the Japanese one was, but that's irrelevant. That one doesn't matter. It's all about the Hanofa. But there's also cruisers that have something called an autoloader, where effectively they fire, in the case of the Destroyer, four salvos. In the case of the Condé, three salvos. Or in the case of the Annapolis, two salvos when you use it. And then the guns go on a really long reload. So effectively, you fire three salvos almost immediately. And the Condé, in this sense, was really incredibly powerful. Uh, it basically, think of an Henri that just fires, I think it was 12 shells per salvo, and then it fires three salvos at once, so 36 Henri shells, basically at the same time. And people thought that was really, 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 really powerful. OP as hell, effectively. 
So, test chip changes. Main battery reload time for the Conde increased from 14.5 seconds to 15 seconds. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to make a difference. Although, didn't they, like, change the autoloader uh, already, too, in an earlier dev block? Uh, how much did they change it? Oh, they did, yeah. Yeah, they, they changed the burst from 3 to 2. Oh, that's actually a pretty massive change and possibly makes it not worthwhile to use. Mm -hmm. But I suppose we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the super ships would probably need a lot of until they, they are ready. Also, like, it's always a little bit questionable if, if they want to uh, put so much into burst. Like, the autoloaders, obviously, that you can really burst someone, then the, the Japanese battleship has this immense dispersion buff on demand that it can really snipe someone. It's like... I don't know. I, mean, I feel like you, you probably shouldn't balance things about how can we make a different ways to one-shot targets. Perhaps, but on the other hand, you kind of need something crazy like that to make the ships super. Otherwise, you know, remember, <laughs> remember when we actually had the super ships in battles? When we only had the two battleships? They were basically just destroyer and cruiser food, because fire and floodings, they, they, because they deal percentage damage, they're exactly as effective against super ships as they are mm. against regular ships. Yeah, your dot damage doesn't care about how many hit points you have because it's all percentage based. True, but and, I mean, and they're yeah, also bigger. Also true, but you know, in in the end of the day, they are just like basically like a Hanover is just a tier eleven Kurfürst, right? If you basically expanded the tech tree, there was nothing special except for the the secondary buff, right? That that could trigger. It was basically just a tier eleven Kurfürst. Yep. Now, for the additional super ships, they, they went a bit more crazy. They were like, okay, if you really want to do super, then we can and basically be creative. Yeah, but then they're also cruisers. So even if you're a super, super ship, you're a tier 11 cruiser. But if you come up against, oh, I don't know, a Georgia, and Georgia gets lucky, you're still dead. True. Uh, well... Uh, unless they give the super cruisers thirty-two millimeter plating, I haven't actually looked at them. Actually, no, they didn't at the time, at least. I mean, that would make too much sense, right? I think it would be too powerful, though. Like compared to, I mean, it's still a cruiser; it's supposed to die to the battleship. But you yeah, know what, super ships? I want to see. I want to see like a nineteen fifties refit of the Midway. <laughs> you you super carrier you you just you're just gonna go super toxic real quick there <laughs> yes well i mean it could be worse it could be a super submarine yes it could be super uh, submarines i mean the ones we have in game practically act like cold war subs already in a lot of ways so <laughs> Well, I don't know. Mine can't launch tridents yet. Can yours? <laughs> yet. <laughs> Give them a month or so. Oh, was the really fast Soviet one the Alpha class that could go like 40 knots or something? 
It was something mad like that. Nuclear, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I like the knowledge there. It, it is actually called the Alpha Class. And uh, it goes 12 knots when surfaced and 41 knots when submerged. Yep. There you go. But that'll be the, the Soviet so- tier 10 submarine. Slap <laughs> on a speed flag and a little bit of a speed boost, and uh, we're running down Marceau soon. Yeah, you can be chasing underwater destroyers. The sad part is, I would not even be surprised if Wargaming does something like that. But this, uh, this uh, led us nicely to, to the topic of submarines. Now, Wargaming is approaching this whole thing a little bit backwards because they had two weeks of submarine testing, then they announced massive changes to submarines, then instead of implementing those changes, they kept testing the old version of submarines that are obsolete where the test data is pointless. Then they uh, made a, a survey about the obsolete submarines Right, for people to give their opinion on something that's no longer relevant. And now they keep testing the no longer relevant submarines, and then at some point they'll do the changes and shred all the data they've collected since then because it's pointless. And, you know, I mean, basically, I, I don't know. They, they basically uh, have released submarines at this point, I think. They just don't, can't bear the thought of there being a single day without a submarine in World of Warships anymore, so they keep them in there. I don't know. I do sometimes wonder, like, what kind of data they really care about. I mean, obviously, we know that they care about things like how played the ship is, but or the ship class is. But at the same time, do they have some kind of data that says something like, oh, if we add submarines for two weeks, but then remove them for like a month, and then we, you know, change them and balance them, and then reintroduce them, do they know something that this like decreases the amount of interest people have in subs, or like why would they keep doing the obsolete testing? I mean, the official reason is because they can still collect data. I'm not sure on what. I mean, technically, there is like, for example, anti-submarine warfare, which you could say we will see how counterplay to sub works. But if you fundamentally change subs, right? It, I mean, they change how spotting works with subs, right? So they will change how subs position. And that means it will change how effective certain range of anti-submarine warfare is. So even that data they collect is basically tied into the changes they make. So anything they do is basically pointless right now. So I'm not sure if they are so desperate that they hope that they can make any sort of crump of the data useful because they have no idea what they are doing. And it's an act of desperation. Or if maybe they are afraid that if they temporarily remove submarines again and they see an upsurge in players who that they actually have data that people don't want submarines and that wouldn't look good. So it could be that they are just afraid that if they temporarily remove submarines again that it would actually show that the players don't like them. I suppose that's true. I actually like submarines though. I like playing them and I liked actually playing against them. But when I say that, it does come with a massive caveat. In that it's very. Minority, I just want to say. (laughs) (laughs) It's the massive caveat, at least when playing against them, is that they're like old carriers where you don't run into them every game. 
it's only every, I don't know, every third game or second game or something like that. Maybe this has changed. I haven't played too much very recently. But when I did play, I didn't run into them that often. And then when they were in the match, because the submarines are more localized, like the old carriers were, there's a good chance the submarines are actually attacking somebody else for the entire game. And effectively, I don't interact with the submarines in any way other than maybe dropping some planes on them. And because of that, I wasn't really bothered by subs all that much. I think maybe this would change if I played like 2,000 extra games or something. But it's so far, they're rare enough that it hasn't really bothered me when playing against them. So even if I die like to random BS, I'm like, well, fine, it's not going to happen again next game. I mean... You're right, they are very localized in that sense. It's also that a lot of people don't know how to properly play them yet or because they are so new. So there is a good chance that any sub you run into is not going to be a big threat, not because of the ship class, but because they don't actually have figured out how to go forward or backward yet. But uh, like they, they can majorly ruin your game. And you know, that just... In, in, I mean, it, they're just... A, bunch of bullshit right now <laughs> and even if you only rarely encounter it i think it's just those rare encounters are going to increase your frustration especially if it happens a few times in a row so kind of came to the same conclusion of a town in terms of it being a bit like old carriers because it, it's a weirdly polar experience. There are a lot of games playing subs when you can end up not really being able to do much of anything. You run around and you try and spot and maybe you get to try and cap and you try and drop torps, but none of it really sticks. And it's, it's kind of like playing a pure torpedo destroyer turned up to 11 in that, you know, some games all your torpedoes just do nothing. But those occasions when you do get to pick on someone, it's like the old-style RTS carriers when someone's just sending their planes against one target over and over and over. Because with the homing torps, you're just constantly, and the quick reload of the subs, you're just able to harass one particular target quite effectively, and it kind of forces them to do... to, to, to just drop everything else that they're doing, and they just have to then try and be uh, as evasive as they can, which is obviously a lot harder when there's homing torpedoes in the equation. I mean, there are ways to dodge torps, but uh, if they can home in on you, it definitely makes life a bit harder. So, um, yeah, the, the the times when I have gotten to do that, when I've been playing subs, it, it always kind of, I always kind of feel bad because it's like I'm picking on this one person in particular and oh, they usually let me know that they're not happy in the chat. <laughs> I kind of disagree with your characterization there, Pointy. Okay. You see, you say stuff like, oh, the old carrier would strike that one target over and over and over again. I, th I think you've forgotten how old carriers worked. You, the carriers would strike the target once. And that's it, because he'd be dead after that. I mean, there I, is I, no, there is no follow up because <laughs> there's no ship. I'm, I'm sort of, I guess, thinking more of of a bad like, carrier. I guess the destroyer experience in particular, when you would have 
just like the rocket planes coming after after you continuously. Oh, you, you meant in that sense. Okay, I meant the RTS CVs, but yeah, I, I get it. And I actually have to also agree with you, Aitam. When playing submarines, part of the reason why I think I liked playing them is because I realized that almost every submarine I played against was way worse than I was at, at it. I mean, I get this feeling normally in the game, right? But with submarines, it's particularly important because effectively the only counter to the submarine realistically is the enemy submarine. They don't have to kill each other, but they're the only reliable way of spotting it. Like, yeah. nothing else will reliably spot them. And so, if the enemy submarine just goes, does some random stuff or comes into the middle to fight with me, I ended up winning really hard because, well, somehow I ended up just being better than them. And as a result of that, it probably felt a lot better to play the submarines because, you know, nine, nine games out of ten, I felt like I was king of the hill. But I did actually get, even then, games like what Pointy mentioned, where you sail around, you launch torps, and literally nothing happens, because you just can't hit. The enemy somehow position themselves behind islands or near islands in a way where the torpedoes just never hit. Because one of the things you can do is that if a ship is not behind an island, but the bow is pointed towards an island, and you launch homing torpedoes at the ship, and the ship accelerates then the homing torpedoes will just turn into the island. Oh, and yeah. you can take advantage advantage of those things. And obviously, because submarines, especially at the start, were in ranked, those players quite quickly picked it up on the kinds of tricks you could do. Not all of them, but some of them did. And if you ended up against a team where, you know, you had five players that all, all realized these things, it did feel like I couldn't do anything. And at the same time, in other games where... The players clearly didn't know what they were supposed to do against the submarine. It was just a complete slaughter. Though I have to say, like, uh, for, for some things you can do to counter submarines, there are then somewhat counters to that. Like, for example, we've probably all experienced the easiest way to dodge homing torpedoes is to be in a battleship, right? If you go, if you see the ping, assuming you can freely maneuver and you don't show broadside to anyone, right? You see, you see where the ping is coming from and you go to a slight angle to the ping, right? So the homing torpedoes are going to aim in front of your nose because, you know, they try to intercept you. So as soon as you see them, you just slow down and turn. The torps no longer track because at two kilometers or so, they stop tracking and they will harmlessly pass by your nose. But the problem is if the sub only like sends two torps that way and then waits a bit and sends two torps and waits a bit two torps because of the first initial turn, you're now turning your nose more towards the second launch and you're slowing down, which means second dodge is going to be that much more worse. And the third dodge is probably impossible because at the last point you're just basically nosing to the torps and nosing you can't dodge. Also, you need to slow down with each dodge, which makes the next target like a lot easier. And with the the slow reload of torps, like I had this in the tier ten game, and sub was just sending like two torps, two torps, two torps in a very short interval. And you can't keep up the dodge, right? You can't dodge at first, but each dodge makes it easier to hit. And obviously the hit isn't going to sink you because you only get two torp hits because there are so small volumes, but it's nothing you, like you can't keep up the dodge and you can't perch the ping uh, because, well, the damage gun is too long. So after the first ping perch, you'll ping you again, you'll hit, get citadels and you are dead right there. There is nothing you can do. 
I actually don't mind that kind of interaction, but that's because I think the main target for submarines should be battleships. Like, I think that should more or less work this way, where the submarine, if they catch the battleship in a good position for the, for the submarine, they should effectively be able to, I don't know, if not necessarily sink the battleship, at least damage them very, very heavily. The problem is that if you're, if the battleship is caught in such a position, the way you would think is, oh, well, this is a perfect opportunity. Now the battleship's destroyer will now come up to the submarine, dump some depth charges on it, and save her. But that's not what happens. And we can't actually blame players for this, especially the destroyer players, for not doing this, because the destroyers get screwed by the submarine way, way, way harder than any other class. True. At least right now. The ping, uh, the homing ping on destroyers is ridiculous. It's incredibly hard to dodge the uh, homing torpedoes when, they, when they're homing in. And when I say incredibly hard, I'm not entirely certain if you can always dodge them. Like, if it's even possible. Uh, yep. it's, there are certainly situations where you can, but I don't know if it's reliably doable. And obviously, any kind of damage to a destroyer is pretty bad. They've announced that they are changing the distance wherever they're home, so basically they won't home as close. So that's already an announced change, because I guess Wargaming has realized. So just to put into perspective, like, what kind of distance we're talking about, we're talking about less than a destroyer ship length for the homing distance right now. I think it's so 120 torpe- meters or so. Yeah, so basically the torpedoes will home in on the ship until they get within 120 meters. That's for a double ping, I think. Yeah. And then they will stop homing in. And that's the time frame you have to do any kind of dodging maneuvers. The problem is that destroyers are, well, ships in this game are twice as big as the as the normal numbers say. So if you normally think of a destroyer as being 100 to 120 meters long, in World of Warships, they're about 240 meters or 200 meters uh, because, you know, the ships are scaled up. And this effectively means that the <laughs> torpedo will stop uh, homing at you so close that it's really hard to do anything about it. And I'm actually glad they're changing it. Destroyers also have a second problem with submarines, though. They're too slow. Or yes. rather, the submarines are too fast. Because if you, if, if you think about it, sure, a submarine goes 31 knots or 30 knots or something like that. And the destroyer goes like, let's say, 40 knots. 10 knots difference. It's fairly fast, right? But now think about the fact that how long does it take to make up uh, like a two kilometer difference at 10 knot speed because that's effectively what you have to do to catch up with the sub with the submarine and the answer is it takes a really long time we're talking like a minute or two and all of this time it's possible that the destroyer gets shot at with torpedoes or even by other ships yeah, like, you, you will have a very hard time dodging if you're going straight at the sub, because the top goes straight for your nose and it's so close. So the more you ch- you close up on the sub, like, the, the more likely you're going to die to the sub, in a sense, if the, the spotting doesn't kill you. They, uh, by the way, they are also nerfing the submarine spotting. Basically, if a sub is underwater, it will only proximity spot in the future. 
because they've realized that it's kind of ridiculous that a sub is uh, diving down. You can't see it and it can see you just fine and spot you for everyone. Yep. I, I definitely agree that that's, that was really, really silly. Effectively, the only submarine kills I got with a destroyer were when the enemy submarine pushed onto our side of the map and was like effectively under our own fleets. And then, yeah, it was possible to just sail up to them and dump depth charges. But even then, even if you get on top of the submarine, it's not guaranteed you're going to sink them in, a, in the depth charges you have available. If you take the upgrade to double the amount of depth charges you have, then probably yes. But if you don't, it's not a guarantee at all. At least I've seen certainly many times where a destroyer has come on top of me they know where I am, they drop depth charges, and because I turned differently from the destroyer, I was able to get away. And because of the way the spotting mechanics works, I dropped to the ocean floor and just left. Yeah, that's something the Warcaming says that don't want to change for some reason. I feel like if a submarine just dives really deep, nobody should be able to see it, and that will continue to be the case. But that's also like very frustrating because you can't drop depth charges faster in that sense. You set on top of the submarine, you drop the depth charges, it just dives to the floor and it goes into a, like any direction, right? And if it was pretty healthy, it's probably going to sneak away unless you guess in which direction it's going. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but in the sense that if there's an actual game going on, that seems pretty interesting as a way of gameplay. The submarine can get away, so the submarine actually has a reason to take a risk because they know that it's possible for them to disengage. But it does get annoying when you're only fighting the submarine and nothing else anymore because nobody sees the submarine. You roughly know where he is, but you can't do anything to him because you don't know exactly where he is. So you basically just have to sit there and wait until the submarine runs out of battery. Yeah, and like they, they hide here, they have what, like seven and a half minutes, and then the, the Germans have the consumable that extends it by 30 seconds, but, and that's probably gonna get ready multiple times while they go through the, assuming they had the full air red diving. So you can wait for a really long time for that sub to show. Yep. It does, I mean, I, I fully agree with the, the comments I've read on, and read it in the, the forums about it. It just, placing too much of an extra burden on destroyers or too much of an expectation on destroyers to have to go and deal with this on top of all the other stuff destroyers already do. And, of course, it definitely does put an extra pressure on everybody's damage control usage. And, uh, you know, when playing a sub, it's a really good way to get people to burn their DCP is just to ping them over and over, even if you aren't going to drop any torpedoes on them. It doesn't cost you anything to ping them. And so oh, if yeah. they then burn their DCP and someone else sets them on fire. <laughs> I don't think that's quite like, accurate because while it's true that it doesn't cost you anything to ping them, if you have a target ping and you launch torpedoes, they're going to you know, go for that target. And this might not really sure, seem I mean, like a... it, You can't do it all the time. Obviously, if yes, you drop yes. torps on somebody else and you're pinging around all over the place, that's not going to work. But if yeah. you're just transiting to a position where you want to like get an angle on a group of ships, 
but there also happens to be some stuff that you couldn't fly right anyway because it's going to go behind an island or I don't know. But there oh, are, there I, are I, plenty I... of situations when you can just spam that that uh, that ping and make people burn their DCP when they don't need to. And of course, they don't they don't know that I'm not going to drop torps on them. So yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I th- I had the same idea. I went into a game. I was like, oh, this is such a great position. I can see so many. Let's ping everyone a little bit just to <laughs> screw with their heads. And then I was like, cool, okay, now that we're done with that, let's go launch torps at that target that I really want to launch. Let's launch the torps and then ping. And then I'm like, wait, my torpedoes are turning. No, 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 don't go into that aisle. Oh, God, they ran into the island. <laughs> because the when I pinged the other people, I didn't wait until the ping actually ran out yeah. properly. So I, I am acutely like, aware. If you're paying attention to the timings and if you spread your pings around, you can keep people on edge and they don't know necessarily which of them is going to be fired at. So, yeah. Yep. You can play these games with subs so there's not really any counter to. But I kind of like that submarines allow you to do things that weren't possible before. Like, one of the things that I really like is the fact that you can curve torps around islands. Um, in a way where you launch the torpedoes without any pings, or maybe there is a ping on a different ship. And then if you time a ping correctly on another ship, you can make the torpedoes turn in a, and reach places that regular torps can't. And I think this is really interesting or changes the game because when I think of playing World of Warships, when I am in a position where I know that there's no ship that has direct line of torpedoes on me because there's an island in the way or something like that, even if I'm not necessarily entirely behind an island, I'll know that they are at a specific angle and their torpedoes could never reach me from there. Submarine torpedoes aren't like that. So it does make me worry a little more about which places are exactly safe. And this is something that I think is kind of cool for the game. I would have liked curving torpedoes in the past, for example. And I don't mean like hoving torpedoes. <laughs> I just mean that instead of a Shimakusa torpedo going directly straight, it's possible for you to launch them so that they turn a little bit. And, you know, by 15 kilometers, they're like three kilometers to the right instead of directly straight ahead. I would have liked such things even in the past for that exact same reason, so that ships can't just sit in a specific place and feel that they are entirely safe because there's no direct torpedo line from where the enemies are. And submarines break that, which is something I think is kind of cool. It also means that it's possible for submarines to have a really high skill ceiling, which I don't think anyone has reached. And this is something that makes me find submarine gameplay fun. There's lots of things to still do that I am just not good enough yet for. It's definitely a bit Wild West in terms of like people still finding out how to use these things, but even even just from my limited experience playing with them, it, it still feels like the, the BS quotient of subs is just much too high. Yeah, I mean, there is one one thing about like crafting around an island. There is another about a homing top that you can't dodge. That's gonna sit at you and possibly one shot you because you're in a cruiser and there was just nothing you could do about it. 
And oh, yeah. I also feel like the, the, the biggest issue that I have with a lot of those things is that it seems like there is like no counterplay, right? If you're hunted by Shimakase, if you move unpredictably, you might throw off his launch. You might be able to, to dodge basically by, by just moving in a way that he doesn't predict or if you realize where he's from angling the right way and so on. And none of this works against the sub, right? In a sub, the ball is like we, with the old carriers, the ball is way more in the, the sub's corner, right? The sub skill decides what's going to happen, not your skill in many ways, right? If you find a good sub player, it's like your options are very limited and it's you are on the mercy of the sub. And I don't really like that at all because I, I know that some, obviously, right, not every class should be equally effective against everything, but you need someone to, you need some level of counterplay and you need some last basically that counter subs that there really isn't right now the best counter to sub is have a sub spot the sub and then a battleship drop drop charges on it yep either that or pin them pin them down yeah while you're in the sub or I've, I've had this experience either doing it or being on the opposite side of it but yeah you 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 pin them down and just wait for your allies to show up basically and depth charge them yeah, the, the, the reason, like, you need battleships that pay attention to that kill this up because for some reason battleships are the ones that are most proficient at killing subs. And, and when, when you say that, it's not a joke. Battleships are, I actually think that if submarine or battleship players were better at it and the submarine players, you know, they paid more attention. I think submarine players would rage like crazy against battleships because some of them have ridiculous cooldowns on the airstrikes. The French and battleships have 35 seconds to do another airstrike. And it's a, it's a fairly large area. It's very far away from... I mean, it depends on the tier, but I think high-tier battleships can like launch about 12 kilometers or so away. And then it's a very long line, a very massive area where they drop it. So it's like you... As a submarine, you just need to make sure that your friendly battleship is somewhat close and then hope they pay attention and then you spot like an enemy sub and then, you know. Yep. And, and, they can, and the main thing is that it's spammable. Like if a submarine yeah. gets dropped like that, they have to turn sideways to basically try to sail out of it. Because even if they still take damage when that happens, they're not going to take much, much more damage. If they just keep sailing straight, they take massive damage. I sank a submarine, I think, in three drops from, I think, what's the uh, the new German battleship? Not Schlieffen. the the worst turpits. Ah, the, the Brandenburg. Brandenburg. Yeah, that, that one. I sank a submarine in three drops in it, because the submarine basically sailed in a way where it just ate more of the depth charges. And now think about the fact that um, while the battleships at tier 10 they might have 12 kilometers on the drop start the actual yeah. drop itself is like four kilometers long and now think of think of a game where you have like five battleships that are all in range and they all drop on you constantly it would be a nightmare but luckily for the submarine players most battleships don't pay nearly enough attention to that i think that's something that that'll come with time just like uh, shooting into smoke screens has yeah. In the past, remember like, I don't know, three, four years ago, you were playing a ranked game and basically the ranked game was often decided by which side's destroyer smokes up in the cap zone and then gets dev struck by the enemy torpedoes. That happened constantly back then. It doesn't happen anymore. 
And even before that, people didn't even torpedo smoke screens, which nowadays is also kind of a crazy thing to think about. Now you think of it, okay, I smoked up here in the smoke screen, there are torpedoes coming soon. Because it happens. And I think battleships will also do that with submarines eventually. It'll just take a really long time to get there. And I don't think we can really wait that long. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a bit like, there are a lot of things that a lot of people have never learned, so I'm not sure how, but uh, it will get more problematic for submarines as time moves, because battleships might realize that, you know, they should actually drop submarines and not destroyers with the depth charges. I can can (laughs) definitely see the the gameplay meta sort of, changing around subs as people get more used to them but i don't know if that's ever going to really that that's not going to take away the fundamental problems that they have as a, a class trying to fit in with all the other classes and trying to fit in with the gameplay i mean we, we've talked in i can't even remember uh, it might have been the first tc episode or, or one of the ones with yours for maybe but i'm sure we've talked at some point in the past about parasitic game design and basically yeah. systems that get shoehorned in after the fact, you know, after the main thing has been designed and then you have these other systems that come in and get layered on top that don't really have any other purpose other than to add more stuff for the, the player to do or to, you know, grind through or to, to sell stuff to the player and subs kind of, for me, really do fit that because they they clearly never designed the game as originally envisaged around submarines. In fact for years and years they were adamant there would be no submarines. And then now that they have decided to try and shove submarines in there, it it's it's just created many, many problems. I mean and, uh, I I don't I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you make it not BS. I think the biggest issue is that Wargaming has never approached submarines with a plan. Like, I feel like that's how they approach... They, they don't have plans for ship design in general. When they make a ship, they take a blueprint, they kind of transfer the blueprint into ship stats, and then somebody takes a look at it and be like, okay, maybe we'll add this and this consumable to it, and then they just test it. And then they look at their spreadsheet, and they say, like, we want this average damage on a... Uh, we want, like, an average damage between A and B. We want, like, a survivability between A and B, right? They have certain stats, and they just tweak stats until the spreadsheet says it's okay, and then they release it, right? But things like, how is this going to be played? How does this fit into the game? What What's the playstyle going to be like? What role does it fill in a battle? This doesn't seem to enter Wargaming's actual uh, thought process, or at least the way they produce yeah. ships. I would be very sad if they actually think about that because they get it wrong so often. So I generally believe they don't actually think about this, right? For them, ship is ship, right? And they just need the spreadsheet data to be on the right place, and then they throw it out, and somebody will actually find a way to use it or whatever. And that's why there are so many, like, I think, lackluster ships there, or ships that then just fade into obscurity. I mean, there are so many premiums that get released and you see them like maybe a week after release and then you never see them again because nobody's interested in them. Nobody plays them. There's no purpose for them. There is no sense. There's no fun in playing them because all of those things is something that Wargaming never considers. 
And that's the approach also between submarines, right? They've just taken a submarine and said like, okay, it needs to be able to dive. It needs to be able to shoot its weapons. And then we just fit it in on the spreadsheet, right? But I never considered, wait, do, do we want them to, how do we, who do we want to counter them? How, how is that going to work? How is spotting going to work? How is, uh, the, like, team play going to work around them, right? How can they, uh, into the, the game that we have they'd be like well I mean, somebody's gonna figure something out and now we are what two three years later and they have figured it out yet nobody else has so they are just you know they've decided oh screw it we just throw that bullshit into random battles and it didn't work then they said okay now we're gonna change everything and they keep them in random battles despite that but they have now a survey up uh, which is a weird, as I mentioned earlier, I think a weird timing because they've already announced the changes. They haven't even tested the changes now to make a survey about old submarines, which means they can't, like, how, how is this going to work, right? You, you need to first test them, then make a survey, and then make your changes, right? Like, I'm not sure what the point of the survey is, but I can only encourage everyone, link to all the surveys out on Reddit, like it's a sticky thread. And I feel like it might be fun actually to, to look at this. I've already sent up mine, so I won't send that in, but we can take a look at this together. And, uh. I did it, want to, to mention while we're on subs and, and balance, just before we move on to the surveys, um, it, it amused me no end that you, the, the one thing that this, this could have been. Um, popular for is going after carriers, but of course carriers have got that very very short damage control. You know that that automatically cycles. So yeah. trying to get hunting torps on carriers is really hard unless you're basically point blank range. So just to, <laughs> just just to clarify that further. So if a submarine wants to do the most damage with the torpedoes, and it's a massive difference. Oh, you have to is. get two pings on a target. Then torpedoes can citadel. And they can do that against carriers. The problem is that damage control party wipes out the pings from submarines. And on aircraft carriers, damage control party is automatic. The moment anything breaks that damage control party can fix, the CV uses it automatically. Obviously, this would be a weakness if uh, CVs had a normal damage control party. But worry not, CVs have a special damage control party that lasts for 60 seconds. So effectively, if you're a submarine and you want to torpedo a CV, you ping them, they become immune to pings for the next one minute. Um, Obviously, the CV will notice that you did that to them because they'll see that their damage control party is active. And... um, They'll probably leave, but then you have to shadow them for a minute and then land two pings and torp them. And this will deal massive damage, but it's not even necessarily going to kill them. It's pretty, pretty, pretty damn frustrating. And it's really annoying that CVs are the ship class that are probably the worst possible target for submarines. <laughs> Yeah, you think it'll be like oh, destroyers or, or other subs or... No, no, carriers. Of course, it's carriers. But I do want to 
um, argue a little against uh, what Atem said earlier. I do think Wargaming does take these things into account. How would it fit into the game, etc.? Because if you just randomly add stuff, the game is actually relatively balanced. I know lots of people are going to say, oh, this isn't balanced, etc. But it is relatively balanced. Because it's really, really, really difficult to figure out whether a game is actually balanced. So they do a decent enough job in the sense that the game is playable. It's, we, we don't have, like, um, release Zin Zhao, um, like League of Legends had, for example, where that character just went and won we fight everyone. That stuff happens to, like, every game company there is. And at the same time, there are also games like uh, StarCraft Brood War, which is an RTS that's played professionally. Right now, it's played professionally. The last balance patch in that game was 20 years ago. Obviously, the game wasn't perfectly balanced back then. Obviously, it isn't perfectly balanced right now. And the meta has kept changing because people learned to play, etc. And the same thing would happen in any game, you know, whether you really balanced it or not. It's just that uh, people don't really care nearly as much about real balance in World of Warships. They care about fun and how fun it is to play against something. And carriers and submarines are kind of on the bad end of that scale because it ends up being really frustrating to play against them especially for players who don't really know what the enemy can do because they are different i mean i i agree on the part that world of warships is playable and that balancing could be worse but it's not great in my opinion warships is is not great at balancing but every ship in the game is sort of playable. There isn't a ship where, like, oh my god, if I play this ship, there is nothing I can do, right? Uh, it's better in the regard of World of Tanks, because World of Tanks has just very high tier differences. So if you're low tier, there are certain situations where you're just really screwed. I think that happens less in warships. But I'd also say that sometimes you could, like, for example, if you took the set 41 and made it a tier 6 ship, it would be perfectly fine. <laughs> I feel like that the balancing is not great in warships, but it's most certainly playable because in the end of the day, there is enough uh, skill and RNG in it to make out for, like to, to compensate a bit for, for those. Now, interclass balancing is not so good because carriers are way too influential and so on. But what I mostly meant with, with my early statement is wargaming doesn't go like we will just this as a brawling ship and for a brawling ship we need like it needs to be very durable ah. to get close it needs to be like they don't have a concept or a ship that makes sense they don't be like we designed this ship for this purpose right they'd be like this is a ship it will have this part that is good for brawling this part this is good for sniping and this part that we just found in the garage and put on and we don't know what it does and we're going to balance it according to a spreadsheet and maybe nobody wants to play because the whole ship thing is just the chimera that is in constant pain and makes no sense and you know they 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 don't have a plan a concept for what a ship should do they just balance according to a spreadsheet and that means that the game is playable because the spreadsheet is not spot on but it's not so much off that it creates an unplayable experience i actually really agree with you on that one and i think this is one of I think this is kind of a fundamental problem for World of Warships, though, in that it's a... I know it's an arcade game, but it is also a historical arcade game. You know, your Yamata does have 460mm caliber guns, or 46cm guns. 
it, they fire roughly two shots a minute like they would have done regularly. There are these kinds of limits on it. Um, this is why, for example, I've wanted a so-called sci-fi ships game for a long time. When I say sci-fi here, I don't mean spaceships. I mean just warships, but like they have like sci-fi abilities. Like what's the anime? Arpeggio of Blue Steel, mm. where they did yeah. some crazy stuff. Because I think there's a lot of mechanics that just you can't have in a game like World of Warships just because it wouldn't make sense. One of these would be somehow being being able to really quickly change from one side of the map to the other side in certain situations, kind of like a town portal or warp jump or whatever, right? Which would make sense Mm -hmm. in sci-fi, but in even at least a semi-arcade game that has like historical ships would make absolutely no sense. And I think that's kind of part of the reason why their hands are tied a little bit. Because as I understand it, the way they do it is they put certain statistics on like specific weapon types and uh, what exists already, right? And because real life, these weapon types are often shared across ships, you know, there's already, because the weapon type already exists in the game, they basically share stats or the stats are really, really close to each other. So like, for example, um, Anakizuki has uh, main guns, right, that have divided by four HE pen. Well, if you put the same turrets onto a battleship as secondaries, they're going to have the same stats. And this, I think, ties their hands a little bit because they decided to do that. And I do agree that this is a limiting factor for them and what they probably don't really consider on when designing things. But just as an anecdote on what kind of balance looks like in other games, just recently there's a new game called Age of Empires 4 that released by Microsoft. In that game, it's an an RTS. It's an RTS. And um, in this game, Mongols can pack their town center, which is like the main command building, and can move it around. And basically at the start of the game, they can almost immediately get an upgrade that makes the town center basically the fastest unit in the game. As in, you pack up like a building into like a cart, and this cart outruns cavalry. And then you can <laughs> drive up to the enemy, enemy's town center, unpack your town center there, and then the arrows will basically deny the enemy mining time. And effectively, this is... Almost an uncounterable strategy. Even if you blind counter it, you're still mostly going to lose to it. And this is a game released by Microsoft. And that's a released game now. This is, you know, this is the kind of balancing stuff you can see in other games too. So, in a sense, I think um, it feels as though every single games community thinks that their games developers are uniquely incompetent. Like, every game I play, everyone's always like, wow, the developers are high or something. They just can't balance anything. And I think World of Warships is maybe squarely in the middle or maybe slightly towards the slightly worse side. But it's not really as bad as, it, as you know, sometimes it feels from the community. Yeah, I mean, I'd give Warships, I think, a 4 out of 10 in balancing, slightly below average. Yeah, just to, just to reiterate though here, 4 out of 10 here means slightly below average. It's not the movie guide where if you put 7 out of 10, then it's a garbage movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, we, we are we are using a linear statistic. Um, so uh, uh, back to that submarine survey. There, what I really like is that the first question they put in the survey is, uh, "Did you participate in battles with the inclusion of submarines?" And the answers are yes, no. I'm not sure. So World of Warships, our wargaming, is uh, thinking that their player base is not capable of identifying submarines. So there is the I'm not sure option. Just just in case if you weren't, I mean, considering how, how many people use anti-submarine warfare against other ships, I guess it's a valid question. Maybe but... they just didn't realize they were playing against submarines. <laughs> submarines are hidden, right? But actually, yeah, that mean, question is most likely, like, I'm guessing these surveys are made by people who, like, are professional surveyors, like people who make surveys for a living, more or less. And these are the types of questions you have to weed out, like, random answers. Because basically, basically, basically any survey you have, it could ask the stupidest thing in the world, and there would always be some people who pick the stupid option just because it's a true. survey and people pick randomly. And I think this is one thing that tries to filter them out. Yeah, that might be true. So, so uh, afterwards, they ask, did you like participating in battles with submarines? It's that, I liked that's it. A... I you liked might... some things and disliked others. I didn't like it, and I'm not sure. I mean, that's actually a, a, that's one of the few good questions I think in the survey because that's something that you really want to know is right. Did people enjoy it? And that is something that wargaming tends to ignore way too much, right? They don't care if people actually like the game. Uh, and then, oh, sorry, if you pick a follow up. Uh, and select liked, didn't like, or liked some things and others. It asks, "What did you like about particip? What did you like about participating in battles with the inclusion of submarines?" Wow, English is hard. True. And what did you not like about it? Yeah, that that that's actually good, right? Because in this, uh, it is a way too broad question, so you need a follow up and you need to give them the the opportunity to actually write something. I'm not sure if anyone is ever going to read what you write, but that that's so far that that's a very good. That that's a good question, and that's a good way how they solved it. And I hope people give them a lot of uh, detailed feedback on this. And then they basically ask you what what ship types you played, which I think this is is like uh, the follow up questions are then about those ship types, right? Like they they are asking how interesting is it? Another good question because once again you want to know do people enjoy this or not? To, to specify, they ask how interesting it was to play submarines, and then you know the other stuff I guess in the next pages. Like yeah, I mean, specifically, how interesting was it to play submarines? Not necessarily interesting yes. how to play submarines against submarines. There is more on that as a follow up. And then they are how easy it is to figure out how to play submarines. Once again, something that Wargaming tends to ignore a lot of the time because they are too lazy to make any tutorials for anything. So uh, once again, I think a very important question. And then they ask which submarines you played. And then they basically, I think, uh, uh, follow-up was... Let's see. Then they ask specifically about the, the different submarines, if you did like them or not. 
and then you can give comments on the individual submarines. I mean, personally, I only played the German ones, I have to admit. I did find the tier 10 German without the rear tubes a bit, like that was a bit constraining, but it did mean sometimes you could pump out more of your forward torps. I mean, it really screws you in a sub versus sub battle, or can really screw yeah. in a sub versus sub battle. At other times, I feel like it, it's not that big of a deal because you can position in, in a way that's, you know, further away. You just unball your fish anyway. And they can't see from, you because you dive. From my experience, the American ability of quick diving was... Um, I'm not sure if I ever actually used it on purpose. <laughs> because, I mean, I mean, okay, there were, uh, of course, a few opportunities where I was like, I'm going to press this button as I, you know, uh, dive faster. But realistically, German submarines dive just fast enough that it didn't really matter, I think. It was more that the German, the difference between the two submarine types was more that the German ones, mm, I, I liked them less before the changes in the latest patch, um, when they had less range mm. than the Americans. But once that was changed, I think I liked the German ones more than the American ones. But they feel more or less equally competent. Like, I wouldn't really say that there's a massive balance issue with submarines you know themselves mm -hmm. like it, it 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 never felt like oh we have a salmon they have a u190 clearly we're in the better position or the other way around yeah, yeah i mean I that. yeah i mean at, at this time especially in in the submarine life cycle it the, the player matters a lot more than the ship even then, I mean, I, I, I mean that from my personal perspective, mm -hmm. like if I'm in a Beilao or a U2501, I feel that I can do the things I want to do about equally as well. It it certainly, and there's definitely differences between them. Like mm -hmm. Pointy mentioned, the fact that the U2501 has uh, only forward launching torpedoes, whereas the Beilao has forward and rear facing torps, it makes a big difference. But at the same time, no, it it didn't really feel like, it didn't feel like I was uh, in a I don't know a Hayate versus so I don't know Marceau or something. Yeah, and then uh, they they go on about evaluating the efficiency of submarines compared to other ship types, right? Not not submarines compared with other submarines, so. That's a very uh, that's a very loaded question, and I wish like they had given their like this is a question where I feel like uh, you you'd need like uh, something where you can write down because what does it mean more efficient than, than another ship? As a submarine, you are very efficient in a way at dealing damage, but on on the same time, you are not really doing you probably not going to do that much camping. In my experience, especially what um, this carrier is about, yeah, it's it, it's it's a bit of a weird thing because as a submarine, you're very vulnerable. If you are spotted and you're in the range of battleships and they pay attention, then you're dead, right? Basically, you, you sail into a cap 
And I've had that, right? You'd, you'd be like, okay, so I'm very sneaky, right? I can't just go there and I, I take this cap. And if like a destroyer shows up, I just dive and the destroyer can't basically do anything anyway. But if you get spotted and there are battleships about, and then like three battleships drop you, then you're probably just dead, right? So on the one hand, submarines are very sneaky and are very, like with, with the ability to be basically invisible to everyone. That's a very good defense. But on the other hand, you know, if there are battleships that pay attention, you really have to be careful about where you're being spotted at. It, it, it's weird because I feel like they, they don't really fit too well into, into a team setting. They are more about like selfish damage dealers, but they're very efficient selfish damage dealers. Yeah, I, I I wonder if anyone could have known that this would happen. Like maybe 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 like a navy in real life could have like tried to use submarines in fleet battles and then found out whether it works or not. You know, but sadly that never happened, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I feel> now. <laughs> uh, but I think less efficient or more efficient is just meant as like how powerful it feels compared to other ships. And I actually agree that it's a loaded question, but in a slightly different way. Well, is the uh, U-2501 or the Beilau uh, more efficient than other compared to other ships of the same tier? Well, obviously no, right? Because, I mean, that's the same tier as the Nakimo or the, <laughs> or the FDR. <laughs> I mean, of course they're less efficient. Yeah, but okay, not okay. Very much. <laughs> if you compare that that's also a problem, right? Because the, the ship classes aren't equally efficient themselves. So you you'd have to at least you'd have to place like you'd have to ask how efficient are submarines compared to carriers compared to cruisers, which then again is also another question because not all cruisers are the same, right? Could be a radar one or not. So the, the destroyers, some are more cap contesters and some are more like just gunboats. It's like the problem is that the Wargaming has made a somewhat complex game and they're asking very like questions so, so simplified that they make no more sense. Like I feel like no matter what I click here, they will not. I can't, I can't get like my meaning across in this survey because no matter what I click and I probably not interpret it in the way that I, I mean it, right? <laughs> I mean, and now, uh, at, at best, we can hope that it, it counts for something, even if it is flawed, but. We'll see. I read the next question. Yeah, how how interesting was it for you to count the submarines? <laughs> Not how easy or hard, how interesting was it to count the submarines? But actually, yeah. that's a really good question. Because destroying gameplay against submarines to counter them is really shit. Like, yeah. it's not interesting at all, because you're basically sailing for a minute or two away from where you were battling normally to then possibly kill the submarine and then sail one or two minutes back into battle again. And that's a really uninteresting type of gameplay. And, and certainly at the moment, it's absolutely not worth taking the risk. You kind of have to wait for the subs to come to you because if you, like, unless you've got a, a clear enough area to advance into, of course, if you're going for the sub, the sub is going to spot you and 
therefore their allies can can shoot at you. And I've seen this a couple of times with destroyers trying to go for subs and just getting sunk and you know focused and sunk in the process. So it almost needs to be that you have to like the sub has to get caught out of position and unable to run away and, and be at the point where the sub uh, the, the destroyer can go and tackle them and be close enough to their allies that they're not going to worry be worried about being overextended and exposed and just picked off by the the enemy team so it's it's really like there's 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 no scope for kind of destroyers going off and becoming some kind of independent sub hunting force like the the, the game just doesn't support that at all yeah um, imagine if we had like a gameplay mode with convoys and stuff yeah or... yeah imagine that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in my experience it really did come down to which which was the better team regardless of what sub was on it or not because the subs themselves i don't feel like for the most part they have a huge impact on actual gameplay it's more that they have a huge impact on frustration like, yeah on like say two or three members of the opposing team the the ones that they are specifically focusing on and so if, if your team is rubbish and you're in a submarine there's not a lot you can do about it like it's probably the weakest class in terms of actually being able to do something to counter or to to shore up a team that's not doing very well whereas if your team is doing well enough that they're they're pushing forwards and creating spaces for you, then subs can suddenly become really quite powerful. But you're you're not going to be able to shore up a collapsing flank in a submarine in the same way that you could with a a destroyer, for example. Yeah, I feel like carry potential-wise, they're very low. I'd say like like, uh, uh, pure damage-dealing cruisers about on par with that because it's like... As a submarine, you know, basically your, your, mostly your contribution is going to be damage. I mean, you have some cap potential, I guess, but you probably aren't going for the caps early on or depending on the situation. And you're more like trying to flank and get good, uh, torpedoes into some enemies and you do some damage to them. But like as a destroyer, you can provide a lot more team play with spotting, capping, how you position yourself or smoking like allies as a cruiser if you're like a radar cruiser that can have a huge impact on just you know hunting down enemy destroyers uh, taking objectives and such as a battleship you can sort of lead a charge and basically make a, a game deciding push or so on a flank it's just like cruisers that are mostly focusing on long range their impact in my experience is also pretty low about like the same as a submarine i guess because submarines are in the end of they mostly just damage dealers right they, their contribution is they take out maybe one or two ships or so and annoy a bunch of them, but there is no much team interaction. I'm not entirely certain I agree entirely, because I say I say uh, multiple maybes there because <laughs> I I agree with you overall. It's not that the sub the submarine cannot really dictate the base of the battle. But if a submarine somehow ends up being placed well, and usually that's not intentional, it just happens by accident due to fleet movements. If a submarine ends up being placed well, they can give an absolutely enormous advantage to one team. Like, for example, let's say you have a map that's basically all three, there are three capsons. Each team takes one capsone each, and then they go, you know, sail towards the middle to fight over there. 
if uh, one team has a submarine that's basically on a path that intersects with the enemy fleet's movement, they can wreak havoc. They can just make it so that the fleet basically doesn't get to the middle cap anymore properly. Just just by being there. And I think that's that kind of stuff can make a big difference. But you're right. Most of the time, the submarine impact isn't probably... It's not something where you feel, at least, that you're being super impactful. I mean, okay, I consider the point. It's also like if they get into the right position, they, their spotting can be pretty brutal, just like carrier spotting, right? If you can keep those cruisers behind islands um, spotted so that they can't like fire from stealth anymore or stuff like that, that can really screw with things. And I guess that's a bit of a team thing. But it's it's oftentimes... It's not something, it, it, as you said, I feel like it feels like it's not something that's often happening planned. I was, I also have experienced this while we're here, like how interesting is it to counter submarines is that the thing about a submarine getting spotted, unless you have your own submarine go there with, with like its submarine detection thing is that if a submarine has enough uh, like battery left and it just dives, you, you basically, like we've had, uh, had situations where basically we spot the submarine, uh, be behind us and then three ships converge on the submarine to hunt it down. But it's not a battleship, so we can't drop it from range basically because cruisers for some reason have very shitty, uh, depth charge planes. <laughs> So basically, or even worse, some cruisers don't have planes. They have to drop them from the rear, which again makes it very bad. So I've had situations like we spot the sub behind us some way, and then people converge on it, and the sub just dives. And then you just sit there and be like, okay, this sub might resurface in five minutes, right? You can't afford to have... So everybody converges on where the sub is, then it dives, nobody sees it anymore, and everybody goes back to what they were doing, right? We spent a minute trying to hunt the sub, we realized we can't, so we all just go away again. And then the sub surfaces again and does its thing, because, you know, there is no way to find it. There is no way to damage it if you can't find it. And you can't really afford to just wait five minutes until it maybe surfaces or not. I, I completely agree. But I would say that in terms of, like, how interesting was it to counter... For the cruisers and battleships with planes, I think it was quite interesting. Not because the mechanic of trying to airdrop the submarines is particularly interesting, but it's an additional thing to do while you're doing all the other stuff. And that I don't think those ships are meant to like go after the submarine, but rather they're just supposed to do whatever they were normally already doing. And then if a submarine pops up, they basically flick over there, drop a plane and then flick back to whatever they were doing. And that can add, you know, if you're in a Des Moines and you have to do and you'd have to do something like that, you'd have to give something up or you'd have to be extremely quick at aiming the planes. And I think that's that makes it interesting because it gives more stuff to do, particularly on the battleships. I mean and rewards map awareness, which is generally something yes. that is a lot lacking, but that you know you should always have good map awareness and in, a, in that sense, yeah, if you have planes with sufficient range or so, then it, it feels like, okay, uh, if you have to drop a depth charges from the back, it's just... <laughs> I, you know. I don't consider that to be a counter. Yeah, it, it's... it they, Now, it's okay that they ask how interesting it is, but they should have also asked how effective. You know. That's true. Uh, speaking of the ships dropping depth charges from the back, 
the first time I played um, submarines at tier 10, I, at the time, uh, I realized that I could just surface really close to the destroyer and just tarp them right, you know, through that. Yeah. Just as they approach me. And if I time it correctly, I can just land tarps into them and kill them. So I went and tried to do that against a, um, what's it called? A, uh, what's the Swedish Alan? destroyer? Alan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found out that not all ships have a depth charge launchers at the back. Some have them <laughs> at the front. Yeah. And I promptly died against them. I feel like the front launchers on those are, they basically only exist just to stop the, the, the submarine from YOLOing you. Because I I don't like I don't I don't see when you'd use these launchers, because I think the launchers not only would they have to launch in a wider area, and I don't mean that the current amount of bombs needs to be in a wider area. I mean that they should launch an extra set of bombs mm-hmm. on each side, so the area would be wider. And they should also launch all ships should launch to the front of the ship and to the rear of the ship, so effectively a bigger blanket. Because right now, the area that the ship covers with ship-launched uh, depth charges, while they drop a lot of them quickly, they, it's in a, such a narrow area that I don't think they're very effective. And as a result, it's not interesting at all. And Ooh. aircraft carrier counter to submarines is... Um, Hope you catch them on the surface and they can't dive? I I don't, like... That's obviously never going to happen. The only real counter I can think of from a CV's point of view is the fact that you can spot submarines uh, even if they're dived until they go to maximum depth. Like they're at operating depth, you can uh, spot submarines. So a submarine is at 40 meters underwater and somehow you can spot them if you fly your plane over them. Which is a little silly, but... um... I mean, it's it's silly in the sense that if that were the case, yeah. you would think that other stuff would spot submarines more easily too. The planes would basically be the last thing that should get this kind of a spotting thing on them. Yeah, I mean, and they also ask how easy is it to spot submarines. Obviously, they don't give you a choice, and re- they they give you a field where you can like get your own opinions. But they they don't allow you to uh to shoot like pick based on, on which class you were using or things like that. But I guess you know you can feel it. I do wanna say though that way. submarines countering submarines was the most interesting of the submarine interactions. Because it mostly just ended up being roughly a 1v1. Even if there were like depth charges dropped and stuff, both sides were usually peppered equally. So that felt the most interesting to me out of the submarine interactions. Because there's, you know, you play with your depth, and when you launch the tarps, when you use damage control party, when you try to run away, when you try to show your side, that stuff was really interesting. But that's mostly because it ended up being roughly a 1v1. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously that's that's a subjective. I didn't find submarine or submarine combat that interesting. Like the tops home once again incredibly close. If you're in a sub versus sub, so if they get like a double ping off, and you don't purge it, you're going to eat them. So it's it's more like I guess playing with the depth and then use hoping that the other one doesn't have its consumable that spots you. 
Valuk maybe can spot it or something like that. And oftentimes, or at least in my experience, oftentimes the, the battles weren't really just one on ones because you just spot each other and every battleship in the vicinity just carpet bombs the area. And you just hope that your battleships are more competent than the enemy. I, and again, I don't think I ever had a sub was a sub one v one in a like remote area where nobody interfered. But then again, maybe I haven't played subs enough. Okay, most of my sub on sub interactions have either been chasing down an enemy sub that's near our ships and keeping it spotted to get depth charged or else having that exact same thing happen to me. So yeah, yeah, those those sort of lone sub versus sub interactions are in my experience not that frequent. I mean they're probably one of the more engaging parts of playing submarines. Basically yep. They remind me of uh, space battles in other games. Particularly because in other games, for some reason, when a spaceship stops accelerating, they stop. Which makes absolutely <laughs> no sense. And it really should be submarine battles rather than space battles. And True. submarine battles, submarines fighting submarines reminded me of that. Honestly, I mean, the thing is that submarine versus submarine is basically has nothing to do with World of Warships in general, right? It's that completely, if you actually have just two submarines fighting, it's a completely contained, entirely different game that works entirely different as World of Warships, where you have sort of a cat and mouse thing going on, where you have to be very dead. Does it have front or rear launches? You need to keep enough distance, maybe, uh, that, that there is a chance for the torps to maybe be dodged you have to watch your damage count but oftentimes it's just like you know who whoever gets the first homing tops off that can't be a ping perched wins it, it's a bit uh, weird also as a well i don't really find that this happens frequently where like you actually kill them with torps i mean it, it happens but usually you might hit the torpedo and then the fight just kind of stops or something or you just constantly miss and decide to go your separate ways at one point. But if anybody is listening, here's my number one recommendation to submarine versus submarine fights. Equip a ramming flag. <laughs> <laughs> no, genuinely. Because, because if the enemy doesn't have a ramming flag, uh, you, ha you can just ram them. Because it's almost entirely possible to dodge torpedoes enough to get close to ram them if the enemy just doesn't start running quickly. And if they don't have a ramming flag, they're dead. I will say the one. There's the one nothing they can do. The one time a ramming did happen between me and another sub, neither of us had the flag, so it was all just mutual annihilation. But yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to do that, put ramming flags on my subs. I Although I have that. to say, though, that um, ramming underwater works a bit weird. I think because there's the diving and submerging part where you go up and down, that changes the collision speeds to slow enough that they don't instantly kill every time. So ramming can be a bit weird in it. I mean, like, I, I have... I, ha I have rammed the submarine, and we both sailed away from it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, let's be honest, ramming in this game is often very weird and has been a multiple edge cyclic spin buggy. It's it's almost as if this was a, a mechanic, a thing that had been introduced that that you know, had not that's meshing with systems that it was never intended for, kind of thing. I've probably got that in an awkward way, but you kind of know what I mean, right? True, but I mean they had in the past. I think wasn't there like one time this bug that when you equipped like a speed flag or something on your ship, then rams did no longer work. Where you could like full speed ram something and then go away with it. I remember there was a bug like this. I think <laughs> eight years ago, or so, which is what was very interesting. It was a weird flag that you wouldn't expect. Like I think it was just put a speed flag on your ship and then you can't no longer ram properly. Like, they, they've had weird bugs with framing because it's probably one of those overly complicated systems for no reason. Like torpedoes. Yep. Wait, are you saying that you want torpedoes to work like running? No, I've torpedoes are overly complicated. It, like, something that I had, didn't know for a very long time, but, you know, some somebody is like, how... Uh, uh, Basically, he did more damage, was the thing with a submarine, than the maximum damage that a torpedo can do with his torpedoes. And he was like, how is that possible? And then I actually looked up the wiki, and then I found out that, like, that maximum torpedo damage is not maximum torpedo damage. There is no such thing as maximum torpedo damage. Maximum torpedo damage is alpha damage divided by 3 plus splash damage. I'm sorry, what? The maximum torpedo damage in port is alpha damage of the torpedo divided by 3 plus splash damage because every torpedo does alpha damage and splash damage depending on where it hits. If a torpedo hits you in the nose, it does 16.5% of your alpha damage plus the, plus the full splash damage to the nose and then it does the splash damage to, to the center part. If a torpedo hits you in the center part, it does no splash damage, it does the alpha damage modified by the torpedo modification thing. And if a torpedo hits a destroyer in a mid-sanction, it does, I think, 33% of the alpha damage or something like that. I have played this game for six years now, and I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I found this out like weeks ago, right? Because somebody asked that question. And I was like, there must be some reason why this. And then I looked up the wiki, and then I found out that Torpedoes, I always thought, you know, a torpedo has a damage value it does and it gets modified if it hits like the belt, it gets modified by torpedo protection and such and maybe there's a little bit of randomness in it. Uh, but, you know, it, uh, you always thought like maximum torpedo damage is maximum torpedo damage, but that's absolutely not how it works. Maximum torpedo damage isn't a real wow. number. <laughs> wow. So basically, torpedoes really... complicated. The torpedo damage you see is really... Like um, uh, it's, it's like the damage that your HE shell actually does, rather than what port shows you, right? So port shows that your HE shell does nine thousand damage, but when you actually shoot the target, it does three thousand damage. So torps have just show the three thousand instead, right? And uh, not not really, because they show alpha damage divided by that. Uh, it's it's more complicated in that sense because there are two damage. Like each torpedo has two damage values, alpha and splash, and the relation between those two might be different depending on ship. It's not like the one is a percentage of the other or so. So some torpedoes might have more alpha and some might have more splash, and then it uses a different formula depending on where your ship gets hit. And the value in port is shown alpha divided by 3 plus splash, right? But for example, if it hits you in the center, I don't think it does splash. If I remember correctly, it only does alpha. If it's the nose, it does a percentage of the alpha plus the splash. 
So it, a lot of it depends on what relation alpha and splash has. How Which you don't know. Like this was the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just okay. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, this is uh, this is a truly mind blown to me. The wiki lists it. Everything. I... <laughs> Why? It's, it's in the wiki, right? I only found this out like uh, recently, basically. But it, yeah, I mean that's that's how Wargaming does does the thing. Which raises interesting question also about subtorpedoes. How does the Citadel stuff work? That ignores torpedo protection and so on. And you know. Uh the more you know, the more you're confused about. Actually I think I know why this works this way. It's because of the system where you know how a ship has well Yamato has ninety seven thousand two hundred HP. Well, it doesn't really have that HP. Well, I mean it does, but Really, the, if you try to kill the ship, you're dealing damage to sections of the ship that mm -hmm. actually yeah. have more HP than the 97,200. But a section can run out of HP, and then you don't deal damage to it. And I'm guessing the torpedo alpha plus splash damage thing, you know, it's done because of that, because of the sections and the damage. Possibly. There is also, in, in the wiki, I mean, you can bring up the page if you like, there, there is... Uh... There was, uh, I think that since patch 7 something, I think torpedoes do always at least 10% of their damage or something like that. So there, there is, mm. like, even if it's depleted, torpedoes can never do zero damage. That actually did happen in the past. Like a destroyer yeah. versus destroyer fight, and one DD eats everything just with the bow, and the last torps do no damage. Or very, very little. Yeah, I think that has been patched down at some point. But yeah, like the torpedoes are needlessly complicated. Also, um, I actually opened the wiki page and it has an interesting sentence here. On the topic of uh, Wargaming doing the things that they said they're not going to do, here's the sentence. Once the torpedo is armed, it will always explode when hitting a ship. Duds, non-explosions or ricochets are not planned for the game. Yet. <laughs> well, I mean, it would make playing the lower tier US submarines <laughs> super fun. Yeah, imagine if you launch a torp and there's like a, let's say, 0.5% chance that it explodes in the torpedo tube. Especially in a submarine. Well, how about if it uh, decided to circle around and come back after you instead? Yeah, yeah, that would also be a possibility. By by the way, uh, side note, I mean, once I've had this revelation because I've read the wiki, which I should have probably done years ago, uh, a mouse mentioned that she, and I think Stance Block, they, they did some damage on this whole Splash and Alpha thing to figure out certain things. And I think she mentioned, um, don't remember which ship she mentioned, I think it was the black that had like a very high, I think, splash value. So it was a lot less, uh, but basically it was a lot more consistent, uh, no matter if you hit like the Citadel 
or the the like the torpedo protection as such because of different proportions of splash to alpha damage and how like the damage is calculated like torpedo protection isn't equally useful against each torpedo basically i see you know you know what would be really cool if stuff like this were um <clears throat> shown in game instead of i don't know no just knowing somehow magically that my Des Moines shells ricochet at 60 degrees to 67.5 degrees compared to my Iowa's 45 to 60 degrees. Instead of just somehow knowing that, it would be really cool if the game had this, like, panel where it could show statistics what the shell could do. Oh, yeah. yeah maybe they could add that. And maybe they could do that same thing for torpedoes, that they show the splash damage and the alpha damage and maybe the size of the splash damage. I mean, they show the uh, depth thing for shells, right? For HE shells and etc. against submarines. Why couldn't they add this stuff, you know, forever ago? I I think they just hope most people didn't figure out how the game works and are happy in their delusions what they see in porn. Yes, my ship has 98 points AA. Yours only has 81. Clearly mine has better AA. I mean, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and then it turns out my ship's max AA range is 2.5 kilometers. Can you imagine finding out that your anti-air guns don't start loaded into the game and that all your flak doesn't start <laughs> shooting until the planes are actually through it? So even though you technically have flak, it realistically never fires? Yeah. Ah, war gaming. Well, I mean, no, uh, sorry. Soon someone's going to tell me that actually Yamato does, does fire beehive shells for AA. You just don't see it. <laughs> I still Who can't knows? get over the torpedoes having no, the, like the whole, the, the damage thing. It's blown my mind. Yeah, I went yeah, through same. the same phase a few weeks ago, so I'm uh... I went through the whole, like, uh, shock, denial, and, and stages <laughs> of griefing, and moved on. Wow. So where are we in this survey, then? We can't be that far off the end. Yeah, we, we were, like, uh, what level of damage was inflicted to your ships by submarine launch torpedoes? High average, low, I'm not sure, and then you can pick for the, the classes. I mean... Cruisers should be extremely high. Yeah. Like, the thing is, they also fail to specify, oh, well, how, how do you take it? Do you take it as in one hit or in over the course of a battle and so on? Because, I mean, obviously, as a battleship, you have better ways to mitigate the damage. But if a sub is really hunting you, then eventually it might get you, right? Or if it's like forcing you into crossfire because eventually maybe other ships get involved and you stop being able to turn and dodge, right? If you're in a cruiser, yes. maybe it just pings you their home in and you're dead mm -hmm. and there wasn't anything you could do. You could never spot it. You could never dodge it. And uh, on, the cruiser, the on the cruiser, the answer is very high, regardless how mm -hmm. you phrase it, because cruisers seem yeah. to really get screwed by subs. It's entirely possible to just one-shot a cruiser with a sub-torpedo <laughs> launch. And uh, at the same time, there's very little you can do in return. 
I mean, this joy is, it gets a bit more questionable because, like, if the sub knows what it's doing, I haven't really been destroyed by subs directly that often in this joyous. I have encountered a sub or two that knew what they were doing, and basically the torps just told me on my destroyer, and there was nothing I could do, and it was dead. Uh, I know that if, like, basically a sub catches onto you in a destroyer, you need to, like, get out of there or smoke or something, because there is no way you can chase it down, and there's no way you can do something. The thing is, if you spot, like, the, the sub in your destroyer, then it comes down to how many battleships you have that help, once again. So it's a bit weird. I haven't really been devastated that much in destroyers, but if you get into an encounter and the sub knows what it's doing, basically the, the answer is high, because it's basically uncounterable, you're dead kind of situation. There was a, uh, a clip someone posted on Reddit um, not that long ago, like a couple of days ago, and it was basically they got caught out by server desync and they thought they were dodging these homing torpedoes. And it looked to them and in their recording like they were dodging these mm -hmm. homing torpedoes, but in reality, they weren't. And so even though it like the torpedoes were sailing right past, they then exploded and died. I, I've seen two or three of those, actually. And that is concerning because... Part of the reason why it looks this way is because of the homing ending so late, I think. Mm. Yeah. So, and yeah, like the torpedo just completely missed the ship and then was like, haha, kidding. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point because, like, the regular torpedoes, they are very easy for the client to cut. And obviously, the, the server does the actual calculation and your client does a prediction, basically. Your client renders what it thinks happens and the server knows what actually happens. And I'm not sure at which intervals they communicate, right? So once the client basically spots the torpedo and gets picked up, then the client basically renders what it thinks is going to happen. But I'm not sure how, how well the client like realizes when the spotting cuts off and so on. So... It might be like because only the server has the real information. If they don't communicate often enough, that could possibly they could see to desync. But I'm no expert on any of this. It it definitely is going to be like if that's something that even if it's something that only happens occasionally, if it's a you know, it's it's not it's another not nice thing for destroyer players when they're trying to deal with submarines. I'm trying to find that clip now, but um, yeah, if you've seen things like it, then you'll know pretty much what it what it was uh, what was happening. In yeah. It. So after like asking people how much they get wrecked by subs, they ask how easy they think they are to count. I mean, those are, I guess, kind of linked. But uh, that's a definitely a good question for them to ask because it 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 almost looks like Wargaming has realized that counterplay is a thing, and it should be a thing because they're they're uh, past design. They often like lost over the fact that things should have counters. Maybe they're learning, or maybe they aren't. Who knows? One can always hope. 
Yeah. And what's very interesting is that I follow this up with by asking how are your chances of minimizing damage from like destroyers, from cruisers, from battleships for each class, which is obviously a very good point because they want to compare it, right? If you feel like destroy, uh, uh, you don't have a counter to submarines, but you feel like you also don't have a counter to the other classes, then obviously, right, they would perform about the same level. So Wargaming is going for. But once again, I feel like the, the, the questions are just in a way way too broad because there's so many different cruisers, battleships, destroyers also. How would you evaluate your chance of minimizing damage from hostile battleships in a cruiser? I mean, that depends well. because, because my cruiser, if I'm in a Des Moines, most battleships encounter will overmatch every part of the ship except for the citadel belt, right? Uh, the deck, the nose, the upper belt, the rear, everything gets overmatched. So basically your chances of minimizing damage are in a dead sense zero, other than dodging, which means a demon is not the best ship for open water dodging, or it's basically being behind an island, in which case if you have the right island, so a smoke screen, your chances of minimizing damage are pretty good. Unless a carrier shows up and then spots you behind your island, in which case they are low again. Yeah, or you could be in a Petropavlovsk, in which case your chances of minimizing damage are extremely high, regardless what's going on in the game. <laughs> True. Right? There are just so so vast differences between classes and the situations that you can't actually give a representative answer. I would still generally say like uh, you have a low chance of mitigating mitigizing, minimizing uh, damage from battleships in your cruisers, because the overmatch is just often very punishing for them. But once again, it's a much more loaded question that you can't really answer that easily. And then obviously they have uh, how do you elevate your chance of minimizing damage from hostile aircraft carriers, which is pretty easy because you just go with flow everywhere. So at least one question that's pretty trivial. <laughs> I did find it interesting that they were asking how people feel about other classes as well versus other classes, not just subs. So I mean, it's, it's very important because you need to, if somebody feels like, for example, they can't do anything against the subs, but they feel the same way against the destroyer, then, you know, it's not as concerning if somebody thinks they can counter everything or they know how to play against other things but mm -hmm. subs are just you know standing out then that's a much more concerning thing right from from it i suppose yeah it helps calibrate the earlier part of the the feedback as far as they're concerned i mean you've got to see everything in context because in the end of the day you want submarines performing equally to existing ship types and not the submarines like vastly overperforming or underperforming compared to them or, you know, at the end of the day, maybe not even in the game at all. <laughs> I, I mean, they can't be overperforming or underperforming if they're not in the game. Exactly. True. Mm. Uh, then, then they ask, do you think submarines are ready to be introduced into the game on a permanent basis in their current state as a research approach? Uh, it's it's an interesting question because they have already announced two weeks ago massive changes, which means asking what we think about the current subs if they are ready for the game is a bit pointless because they are already, you know, going to be changed. 
I mean, which makes the entire server pointless because they ask about an outdated product. This whole server is a little bit about, we ask people if they like apples to figure out if they like oranges, right? That, that's basically the, the, the point of the survey. Well, I mean, if you really think about it, um, are they ready for the game? Well, they're already in the game, aren't they? Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're ready, right? You can have a uh, self-driving car that on average kills one person a day, and you can it's, it's not ready for the road, but you can still put it on the road, right? I suppose that's true. But it's an interesting yeah. analogy, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, is the, the thing that, that gets me about this whole test, I, I, I've called it a limited time release, although I'm not sure about the limited time in the past, because if it was a proper test, you know, you'd test it at least for a certain amount of time and you'd collect the feedback on it and then you would go make the changes and then you'd test those changes again. But their refusal to remove the untested product that they know is faulty really doesn't make it the test. They just basically release the faulty product and they're fine with it. I mean, that's that's the go-to thing in video games these though, uh, these days, though, isn't it? Just, you know, it doesn't matter if it's broken or not. Just release it anyway and eh, we'll patch it later. It's fine. Or software in general. Yeah. Yeah. And if they, they basically they promised they wouldn't do this after the carriers, but they said like, no, no, this time we call it a test. We've basically released it. We made them easier to acquire than if they were actually released because everybody gets them. Everybody can play them. There is no restriction on them. They are basically part of the main game right now. They're fully integrated into the game at this moment, but we call it a test. And even though we've completed our test, we still keep testing. So, you know, you can't, you can't complain. They're not released. They're not released. They are tests. But at least they ask you specifically, why do you think they are not ready? Well, you know, because of all of the other stuff you said, and I'm not going to press submit here because I already submitted the survey in the past. It's, uh, yeah, I, I really wonder what they're going to do with this. And I really wonder what, like, if there are going to be any other big changes if, and when they, they actually test the, the updated submarines. I mean, we now have, what, two more weeks of uh, broken subs. And then maybe in the next patch, they will have the, the newer subs and then we'll probably keep testing that for an entire patch circle. And I wouldn't be surprised if then afterwards they call it a release. And like... If I wouldn't be surprised if there will never be another World of Warships without subs in random battles. Well, I mean, they're only on the even tiers right now, though, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, sure, uh, you you can kill a battle with any right? like areas, but I I feel like they, they will never be like completely removed again, right? Like, they will never, like, pull the subs out again and be like, okay, we'll now play changes and then we try again. And we will only put them back in when they're ready. They'll be like, yeah, I mean, sure, right, they are right now not working and broken and we, we want to change them, but let's let's just keep the broken stuff in there. Yeah. I think you're right on that one, though. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, that, that includes that, that survey. And now all that remains to be done is see what Wargaming Wargaming's conclusions are. Probably none. How do we get some kind of follow-on article and it doesn't just, like, vanish into the ether? That we actually get to see some of this newfangled communication with the community stuff that they're trying out. I think that would be really cool, like, to see what their server results actually are. Yeah, I think yeah. it would be really cool if Wargaming did something like that. I also think that Wargaming in general should ask the community way more questions, especially things like, you know, if if they screw something up, for example, give the community options on what, you know, should be done. Like, yeah. uh, you know, should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do the third thing or maybe something else entirely? And then see what the community thinks. That way, you'll have a better pulse. You know, have a finger on the pulse, so to say. I feel like Wargaming has very little um, regard for customer satisfaction. In a way, it it feels like they. I mean, they have been ignoring feedback for a while. Uh, we all hope that they are going to change back again and take actual community feedback into consideration. But it's also, I feel like, the way they they design their game or they design their ships and stuff, they, they don't really do much to, uh, like, keep people engaged in a sense. All they do is pump out more ships. But they really neglect things like game modes, things like uh, a more, more visual uh, stuff or uh, balancing what's already in the game or, you know, reworking older maps or... Like, you know, thing, things to, or events or something like that. There's a lot of things that you could do to keep a community engaged in the game and keep, like, the long-term players interested. And the interesting thing is that, you know, rushing out all this, all those ships doesn't really help with new people, right? If, an, if a person starts the game today, you can sell them a tier pits. You don't need to design a Brandenburg for that, right? You only need to design a Brandenburg to sell the person already has a tier pits to sell them something new. So they design so many ships to sell to existing players, but they don't seem to care about keeping the players actually engaged, giving them interesting content, or even making interesting ships for them, right? I have a feeling that Wargaming absolutely doesn't care. If you buy a Brandenburg today and you played five battles and never again, Wargaming is fine with them. They don't be like, well, if we make more interesting ships, if we make stuff that people actually enjoy, then they'll come back and want more and buy more. It, it feels like it never really enters the thought process that maybe try to keep people engaged. I mean, maybe this is one of those things where we can sort of sit here and shake our heads about it, but, you know, then you look at the spreadsheet and actually that's the profitable way to operate, even though it, it doesn't necessarily seem particularly great to any of us. I mean, there are examples out there of... Um, I recently learned about this uh, game publisher, in air quotes, called Gamigo, that basically buys up MMOs from other companies and just hikes up the... Like, like hikes up the grind, hikes up the prices on everything and just drives them into the ground. But over the course of the like two or three years before they inevitably completely kill the game. It's really profitable for them. So it's 
it's not necessarily about, you know, is this good for the game? It's about, is this good for the spreadsheet? I and mean, I think that's probably, that, that's, that's Wargaming's prime consideration always. But that's why what I'm wondering, right? Because they basically remove, well, I mean, there is the steel, the, the only grinds left are kind of research bureau in steel, sort of-ish. Because there is no longer a ship grind because ships are released for early access. So you basically play other stuff and you get the ships just unlocked or throw money at them and get them unlocked. So basically by the time a ship line is released, you're at tier seven, eight or something. Anyway, so the actual grind, the actual thing that kind of what people, what keeps people engaged, right? What keeps them coming back? Like, oh, there's a ship line to grind. That's they, they, they kind of patched it out in a sense. The only thing that they are adding basically for the existing player is new ships and they don't really go through great lengths to make them attractive, I feel like, many times. What we've said earlier, that basically they don't have great concepts for a ship that's designed to be fun, it's just for them, well, ship. If a blueprint, let's just make this blueprint, let's just throw it out, right? Maybe somebody enjoys it, maybe not. I mean, I sh- I'm, they're certainly making money with what they're doing, obviously, but I feel like they could probably be a lot more efficient. I feel like they just never really sit back and question what they're doing. Could they're doing better? They never really want to look to to what, what other games do or what other companies do or could we be more successful. They basically, they have some sort of idea how they want to do things. And they just don't care about anything else. They just keep... Yeah, they're quite insular in that regard. But I'll just, in regard to your, your previous point, uh, I, I will I will say that I don't think every ship has to have, or every ship line has to have, like, universal appeal to every player. I think as long as every ship and class can hold its own and be at least somewhat enjoyable to play to... to uh, at least a somewhat majority of players. I mean, sometimes you end up with, with ships that are just the, the skill ceiling is, is, you know, the skill floor rather is just like too high. But I'm broadly on board with the idea of, of some ships being more challenging to play than others. I, I, I mean, want to I want to question you a little bit on that one, Atem. Do you really want them to you know, take inspiration from other companies? Because not let's all think of about, them. Let's, let's think <laughs> yeah. about what are some of the biggest gaming companies right now. EA. Let's, let, let's see. EA, Blizzard. Uh, what was one of the most profitable games like ever released in the first year? It was Genshin Impact now, right? I read an article just the other day about it. I, I am not sure how much I want them to inspire by them. Uh. I mean, the, the the things I've been I've been on a bit of a I don't play MMOs at all, but like I've been on a, a binge watching videos about different obscure MMOs. That's how I learned about GameAgo. But yeah, like some of the, the the monetization in those is just completely scummy, especially the the ones that come out of like Korea seems to be particularly bad for like extremely grindy, extremely predatorily monetized MMOs. So there are certainly some very bad examples out there that poor gaming could choose to emulate. Hell, one of the things, um, oh God, what's his name? Andrew Wilson, the the guy that's the head of uh, EA, 
who seems to now be trying to ease people. What was he said? There was an interview he did, and it was like, oh, well, you know, we, we know players want more things in, in our games, like NFTs. And I seriously don't think anybody is sat there playing their FIFA games going, yeah, you know what this needs is NFTs. But, but that, blockchain. That, that's that's where these big companies are going. So, yeah, I, I don't want board gaming to follow those examples. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I, I was thinking about companies that basically are successful by treating the player better. Yeah. That's right. Unfortunately, you are right that a lot of big companies are, are really scummy in, in many ways. And you're right, I think like in Korea, basically Korean MMOs are all just heavily paid to win, like truly paid to win, not what we mm. Westerners see as paid to win. More like the, yeah, okay, you paid us money, you're sure you can kill five people by yourself without leaving a thing. So I... <clears throat> I, I am from a country that's poorer than yours, especially when I was growing up. And so I ended up playing a lot of free-to-play games, mostly Korean MMORPGs. And Korean MMOs, or Korean games in general, seem to be ahead of their time in terms of like what the PC market is like. Like What Korea does it seems to effectively happen later on everywhere else too. For example, the, F- the free-to-play gameplay model was something that was done in Korea a good 10 years before it really, you know, went to the West. So, you know, World of Warships is a free-to-play game. Mm -hmm. Stuff like this happened a good 10 years before World of Warships was a thing in Korean MMOs already. But um, something that seems to be even further ahead than the Korean PC game market seems to be the mobile market. And that seems to be what's basically inspiring the Korean game market right now. Because... First of all, mobile games are extremely popular, and for some reason, players are willing to accept extremely... Well, they're willing to accept macro transactions on a large scale. Yeah, one of the the, the extremely common things is... Um, the pricing of, of premium currency items not at all coinciding with the denominations of the, the, the packs of those premium currencies. And so you always have to go one over to be able to buy that, you know, bit of armor or whatever it is you want. Effectively, what he's saying is that um, let's say you want to buy an MTX like a character skin and that costs 600 points in the game, you can buy 500 points for $5. And the next pack you can buy is a thousand points for ten dollars. They have to buy a thousand points to buy the six hundred point skin. So then you have four hundred left really over. Cost, yeah, and you know that's that that's basically what they do. And then you can't buy it's anything for four hundred, maybe only for four hundred fifty. So you need to buy the next pack to to get that. So you always have some currency over, and you feel like this is wasted unless you buy the next pack and spend it on something else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so at least with with, with wargaming and and World of Warships, you can you know buy the amount, the exact amount of doubloons you want, or you would just pay the cash from the uh, from the shop. 
I mean, the, the, the scumminess level is open-ended, right? Wargaming is, is, is not yet playing with the major leagues, although they are. <laughs> they yes. have said that, that they've chosen that path in the direction. Although, you know, at least we're getting odds now, which is uh, an improvement. Well, things could always be worse, I suppose. <laughs> uh, could be worse, could be raining. What do you mean? It already rains in-game. Cyclones have been a thing for a while. Yeah, it, it's it's basically a joke that one of my uh, viewers likes to make a lot, and it's a reference to uh, it called Young Frankenstein, an old movie. It, it's a joke in that movie. Oh, young, yeah, that's a great film. That's a classic. I want to go watch that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've mostly covered what we wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, is there anything... There was uh, there was one very last thing that I just happened to catch on Reddit. And that I'll see if I can find the actual post. But uh, essentially, they had been doing special regional pricing for India. And that's coming to, uh, that's coming to a close. And they don't seem to have really given any particularly good... Uh, thing for why? Hang on. Oh, here we go. Right. I, I'm going to need chat permission to post this link, aren't I? Uh, it's just maybe a mod eight hour. It's fine. I totally won't abuse my powers. Honest. <laughs> if we can post that. There we go. So, um, yeah, it, it. I mean, it's it's a. a I presume that's a Discord post um, from from Tucky, and uh, yeah, apparently the regional pricing in India has actually been really cheap compared to elsewhere. But that's that's coming to coming to an end. Yeah, I, I have one uh, regular viewer from India, and I knew that the stuff was very cheap for him. So he's he's not gonna be happy about this, I guess. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, the average income of someone in India is going to be considerably below that of yeah. other people in the EU. But if they're going to be getting the full-fat EU prices, I mean, that's that's not going to be a popular move. I, I don't know why they've they've done that. I think so, too. I, actually, on that topic, um, I think EU has kind of screwed up a little bit because EU basically has some kind of a rule about it that you can't have some kind of price discrimination as I understand it so this isn't going to affect India but I mean inside the EU mm -hmm. and then you look at like the average income of Bulgaria especially like I don't know 5-10 years ago and compare it to like the average income of I don't know Belgium or something and you look at it and the difference is like 5 to 7 times and they're like, wow, and they're supposed to pay the same price? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the, the higher-end stuff that's just uh, really priced out for people in 
the poorer parts of the EU, the places where the median incomes are um, a lot lower. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of like, I, it's, not, it's not even necessarily Wargaming's fault in, in the EU in particular. Just I mean, the way it operates. But... What really rubs me the wrong way is I've, I'm looking at your post right now. It's diverting from Wargaming, right? They are like, yeah, it, it's weird. While we are satisfied with our execution and results, we've concluded that we'll be discontinuing the special pricing for players in India. There's not really any reason given for it. It's just, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. They're basically saying, yeah, it, it was a great thing that we did and there were no downsides to it, so we will stop doing it now. Yay! Everybody's happy, right? Including the uh, <laughs> people who won't be. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like they, they can't even, like usually Wargaming just has a lie prepared that's very transparent, but at least they try lying about it. Now they've just given up. I mean, I've realized Wargaming is very bad at lying because their lies are usually very transparent. Maybe they have to be like, look, we are very bad at lying. We just don't give a reason. We just stop. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh... <laughs> I mean, they could have come out and said, look, laws in China prevent us from giving special prices in India because, you know. There probably aren't reasons like that here, though. They probably just realized that this wasn't making them as much money as they thought I, it I was going Or it maybe he's losing to. them money. Well, I mean, if they're playing on the EU server, I don't like there isn't either the EU or the Asia server. I don't know what would be, be would be better for for India, but um, yeah, I I don't I don't see how having a larger number of people able to buy their thing is like these are pixel goods it's not like it costs them shipping and and manufacturing costs or anything like that so i don't know look pointy you have to understand that the 0.0001 cents uh, that costs for electricity to add this into the database is too expensive <laughs> That that must be it. It was the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet said that they could save that zero zero point zero one pence. Anyway, that was the only other thing I'd spotted, so there isn't really anything yeah. else to talk about, I don't think. Yeah, I mean we've been going for two hours already, so I guess it's a good time to call it the night. All right. Yeah, thanks, Arun, for joining us once again. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, likewise. Uh, yeah, can we find you elsewhere apart from, well, we've got your YouTube on screen, but I, I believe you're a streamer as well. Um, yes, I, I have an annual stream on Twitch. It's uh, <laughs> twitch.tv slash Arun. <laughs> I I genuinely have been streaming very little. But that's about it. I mean, 
I mostly just use Discord in the official wargaming stuff and elsewhere. And I do chat about the game. Nowadays, actually, maybe equally as much as I play. <laughs> yeah. So, thanks again, everyone, for watching. Wish you a good night. And see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.